0: Today on the show we'll be covering two of my faves, 1984's The Terminator and 2003's The Italian Job. Fan-fucking-tastic. Alright everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for tuning in, I do appreciate it. Today on the show, I'd like to talk to you first about uh, some changes to my format that I'm toying around with. I'm trying to decide if I really want to change the way I've been doing things. So, the, the format I've been toying around with, and, and it's kind of been set up over the last, you know, this is the culmination of the episodes in that format. It would be, basically, the first episode would be, like, a bad couple of movies, okay? And then... You know, I'd I'd talk about why they were bad and everything terrible about them and all that stuff and what made them so horrendous. And then the next episode would be a new to me kind of episode where it's not necessarily new movies, but it's movies that I've never seen before that I want to cover on the show. And I think, you know, like that's something I definitely need to start doing more is getting back into the movies I've never ever seen and I've I've wanted to check out because it's just I think it's better for my movie soul if I am am seeing new things if I'm not just constantly watching and, and discussing all of these movies that I've already seen a thousand times before you know what I mean that's kind of where I'm thinking I might go with it and then The final episode would be the old standby that I've been doing most of throughout this episode, or I should say throughout this podcast. It's been, you know, pretty much consistently favorites, you know, all time favorites of mine, movies that I love, movies that I want to talk about. And I already know for the most part what I plan to do in terms of. The discussion it's like I feel so good about the movies that I, I just can't wait to gush over them you know what I mean I'm toying with that notion and obviously you know by the time the movies <sighs> or by, the, by the time the episode comes out where this starts happening and you start noticing it I won't know until I've recorded I don't know eight episodes farther into it and then if somebody says yeah I really don't like this and you know they're and they're one of my three listeners, you know, then that that can be a problem for me. So I'm gonna do this. I'm hoping that my instincts are right on this and I can I can talk about some bad movies and then some new movies and then some favorites and and just keep that rotation going where I'm I'm constantly discussing cuz most of the bad movies I want to do are also new movies because it's a lot better to get a fresh take on those bad movies but I will do some that I I remember as being bad movies and I just want to revisit them on a completely unrelated topic I have been looking into you know changing my my choice of foods and you know trying to find some stuff that's a little healthier than you know these these super cheap processed foods that you can get at the grocery store you know I was looking into these these Catalina crunch cookies and they were I was looking at them like my god like they're super fucking expensive like I was looking at a variety pack and they were like I don't know, 40 bucks for a pack of like four different kinds of cookies. And there were like 16 cookies in a box for each of the flavor, you know, like, so 16, so you get, you get 64 out of that, which is, it seems like a decent amount, but for almost 40 bucks, that's like almost a dollar a cookie. Get the fuck out of here. And so, you know, looking at the price, it's, if you bought an individual box, it would be 10.95 for 16 cookies and it would work out to 69 cents per per cookie. Okay, that's pretty fucking pricey. Oreos are $3.99 for a regular pack of them, you know, that you'd, you'd buy at the grocery store. Not like a pack, like a, a sleeve that you'd buy at the, you know, gas station or convenience store, like an actual full pack of them would be like $3.99, and they have 36 in a pack of those, so more than double, and they'd be 11 cents per cookie, which is staggering. I mean, just holy shit, and I mean, the the calorie count, that's what's, what's a troubling thing, is it's like the Catalina Crunch cookies are healthier by far, but the calorie count is still about the same. You know, you're not really getting much more out of the Catalina Crunch calorie wise, you know, if it was, if it was a little lower and I was, I was like looking at the the reviews to see if they were decent. And, you know, most people were just saying, oh, they're not good enough for the price. Or, you know, most people were just compa- complaining about the price. And it was like, yeah, I hear you there. You know, I mean, I, I can't blame you for being pissed about that. And it's like, I, I look at one and the person sharing the review gives them a five-star review and they say the key is you only eat a couple of them well yeah that's the trick isn't it you know like of course you should only because i mean the serving size of Oreos, it's only for two cookies. It really is. It's its a very small serving size, and they're like 140 calories for just two cookies, you know? And that's a lot of fucking calories, in my opinion. And w- when I saw that, I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? And And so I was also looking at, you know, they have high protein cereals, you know, Catalina Crunch also has high protein cereals and they also have like magic spoon, but these are all like grossly overpriced. Like they're super expensive. And I'm like looking at them, like, if I fucking get these and they're almost $10 for a box of cereal or a bag or, you know, pouch or whatever you want to call it. And I bite into that cereal and it tastes like cardboard. I'm going to be annoyed. You know what I mean? Especially if I buy four fucking bags or boxes of them and so I happened to be I was at Meyer, you know it's a if you're listening from out of the area it's a Midwest based uh grocery store chain and I was like looking around in the cereal aisle and I came across these Catalina Crunch uh pouches of cereal and I was like holy shit they're about as much as they are on Amazon And I can get them right now, and I can try them right now, and I can be done with it. You know what I mean? I can just... I can figure out if they're really even worth the try. And so, I bought the Catalina Crunch ones, brought them home, the... I I bought the... The ones that were basically like the cinnamon toast crunch wannabe and then the the other one was like a peanut butter and chocolate one. And so I poured the peanut butter and chocolate into a bowl and I, I foolishly poured a full bowl of cereal like I was thinking I was going to eat the whole thing and I really should have just... Not taking that chance, but I poured the cereal, got the the almond milk on it, cause that's how I roll, and it was it was legitimately like cardboard. I, I couldn't, I I didn't even finish eating it, I used my hand as a sieve and drained the milk back out of it into the sink, and I threw the fucking cereal away. And then I tried the cinnamon ones just for good measure, and lo and behold, they were not quite as terrible as the peanut butter and chocolate, but they were pretty fucking terrible, and I don't think I'll be going back to give them another try. It was just, it was a a big letdown. And luckily, like I bought some, some Lucky Charms, which are, you know, old faithful, you know, you can always count on Lucky Charms. And I really enjoyed them. And, And so I had a bowl of them to like kind of get the taste out of my mouth from the other ones. But yeah, I mean, it's always worth trying those new things, but it's just... It's not always, uh, it doesn't always pan out. I guess I'll dive into The Terminator, which was released on October 26th, 1984, and it was directed by James Cameron. He made a movie called Xenogenesis, which I've never heard of, and Piranha 2, The Spawning, which I have never seen. I've only seen the first Piranha movie. He made the sequel to Alien, Aliens, which was a huge hit, it was a really good, movie. Uh, he made The Abyss, which actually shares some co-stars from this movie and, and from me, a- he, he likes to work with a lot of the same people, I think. And then he directed Terminator 2. Uh, I di- He directed True Lies, which is a favorite of mine. And he directed Titanic and... Avatar. And now he's making all, apparently he's making all of these fucking Avatar movies that are coming up too. So I'm just kind of like, okay, man, like you have at it. I will uh, leave you to do that. And never, you know, I mean, presumably he's going to be making these until he's fucking ready to retire. And I'm not going to watch another new James Cameron movie ever again so I was looking up the credits for this movie and you know James Cameron wrote the movie The Terminator and I realized that I I would see you know I was looking at his filmography and what he's written and it would like differentiate from one movie to the next if it was like a story by credit or a screen by a screenplay by credit or you know whatever it is and I don't have any fucking idea what the difference is. Yeah, you know, I don't know. If somebody tells me that there was it was a story by writer, I don't know if that means that they wrote the overarching plot but they didn't really write any of the fine details. I don't know anything. I assume that's probably what it is, but who the fuck knows. He wrote Rambo, which is First Blood Part 2, by the way. He wrote a movie called Strange Days. He uh, had some kind of writing credit in the movie Alita Battle Angel, which I was a big fan of. And he also was involved with Terminator Dark Fate, which there are quite a few uh, sequels and spin-offs of this, this series. And, and they're, I mean, pretty much all you really need to watch is the first one and the second one. And then you can just fucking abandon ship and you're pretty good. I liked Dark Fate, but I I don't know that most people would, you know. So Brad Fidel composed the score for this movie, and I I didn't see anything on his resume that stuck out to me, but this score, this theme song is speck-fucking-tacular. I love it. I love the theme song to Terminator. So fucking great. Can't get enough. You know, he also did... He, came back for Terminator 2 he also did the true lies theme you know the the whole score I should say and it's just it's really great to get that in a movie you know if if you can get a good score it it makes it bring it makes bringing the movie home so much easier you know what I mean obviously Arnold Schwarzenegger is in this movie and you know he plays the Terminator you know the T-800 or whatever and you know I've talked about him in the Predator episode you know he's he's in a lot of favorite films uh he he's just he's overall solid and i you know, I think he really did an amazing job. I mean, he, he's he got very little to do in the way of acting in this movie, which I'll get to in a minute, but he is great in this movie. In this role, it's perfect for him. I just, I, I think he's spectacular. Uh, Linda Hamilton is also in this movie. She is uh, Sarah Connor. She's basically in nothing but other Terminator movies. So that's, if you're a big Linda Hamilton fan, I guess you just kind of have to dig into IMDb and take take your chances because I don't fucking recognize jack shit from her filmography. And then we've got Michael Bean. I believe Bean is the correct way to pronounce his name. It's B I E H N and he plays Kyle Reese. He was in tombstone he was in the abyss which was another james cameron movie he was in aliens another james cameron movie he's in planet terror the rock and deadfall which was a terrible fucking movie with Nicolas cage and ugh, fucking awful i i fucking hated every minute of deadfall and Nicolas cage is is as unhinged as you'll see him get in many movies i mean other than I think Vampire's Kiss, it's it's probably the worst you'll see Nicolas Cage get. So I, I really do need to check out The Abyss, apparently, because I, I've just never seen it. I never really heard anybody talk about it, and I'm just intrigued because it seems like it could be good, you know? So, casting notes on this movie, just before we get into the actual plot of it, into the meat of the the old deal. Arnold Schwarzenegger was the original choice to play Reese, which made executives feel like they needed to cast someone even more famous to play the Terminator, okay? Mel Gibson and Sylvester Stallone both turned down the role of the Terminator. The studio suggested O.J. Simpson, but apparently Cameron legitimately said he didn't think that people could take him seriously as a killer. And that's like an actual thing that it's pretty amusing, but it's, it's kind of ridiculous too. Cameron didn't want Arnold for this movie, In the Reese role, you know, and so he basically decided he was, like, he was going to meet with Arnold Schwarzenegger and he was going to concoct, like, a fight. Basically just throw together this, you know, he's going to start an argument with him. And all of a sudden... During this, like, you know, meeting, Arnold starts talking about how the villain should be played and how, you know, how this Terminator should be. And Cameron realized then that, like, he was a good fit for the villain and not the Reese role, right? And he would have been fucking terrible as Reese. It would have been a completely fucking different movie. It would have... It's not just like, you know, when you substitute one actor for another. It's like you're substituting Arnold Schwarzenegger for a guy that is basically just American, you know, Michael Bean, he's he's a very average-looking guy, you know, I mean, he's not like a fucking bodybuilder, you know what I mean? So it's like, you're putting Arnold Schwarzenegger in this, and then you're going to have him have, like, a romantic relationship in the movie? I don't think so. That's that's a bad idea. So, some of the others that were considered for Reese were Sting, Christopher Reeve, Mel Gibson, Matt Dillon, Kurt Russell, Tommy Lee Jones, and Bruce Springsteen. Others considered for Sarah Connor were Jennifer Jason Leigh, Leah Thompson, Rosanna Arquette. There were a few others, but I, I basically just name off people that I've heard of because... If I see their name and it doesn't jump out at me as like, oh yeah, they're really, you know, somebody I know. They're somebody famous. I don't I don't feel like sharing it with you. So anyway, you know, basically the, the premise of this movie is, and I'll, I'll read the intro graphic thing, you know, like the, the thing that comes up on the screen at the beginning of this movie. But basically this movie is about a cyborg going back in time from 45 years ahead. You know, like going back in time, 45 years years, and trying to kill the woman who is the mother of the leader of the cyborg's enemy, okay? Because there's a big war going on in the future and all this stuff, and so basically... The humans are going to win this war with the cyborgs. And the only way that they can, the, the cyborgs can figure out to defeat them is if they kill the guy that banded them all together. That's the premise. And so then, you know, once they send the Terminator back, Reese is the human guy that realizes that they've done that. And he goes back in time as well, knowing he can't come back to the future. Okay, it's it's a crazy, like, to me, if, if I was in 1984 and I was the right age, if I watched this movie, I feel like my mind would be fucking blown. Like, I feel like there were no movies out there that were anything like this. Basically, like, one thing that annoys me with movies about time travel is when they put in the actual year that things are supposed to be happening. And then, you know, that year comes and goes or that date comes and goes. And then assholes on the internet have to fucking post, hey, today is the day that Marty would have gone back in time. Blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, shut the fuck up. Like, I don't, uh, I get it. I get it. It's cool to reference the movie. And you know, a lot of people like the movie. So you know that you'll get a lot of uh, positive response responses to it, but for the most part, it's fucking stupid. You know, it just shut the fuck up. The intro for like, I don't even know what word I want to use, but basically it comes up on the screen and says, the machines rose from the ashes of the nuclear fire. Their war to exterminate mankind had raged for decades, but the final battle would not be fought in the future. It would be fought here in our present tonight. And so that's what sets up this movie. And you don't, I mean, Based on that, you're not going to know what the fuck is going on. And you're just going to kind of be like, um, yeah, all right, I guess uh, let's buckle up and see what what's going on. So every time I see the credits to this movie, it, they give me the chills. Although they do go on a bit long, they're, they're fucking great. I mean, that theme song just fucking hits, man. It fucking rules. Anyway, James Cameron made mention that Arnold should not have worked in this role. So, I mean, one of the first things we see after they get done talking about the future and being in the future, showing you what a wasteland it is, is like you see Arnold and he just kind of appears, you know, like there's all of these electromagnetic fields or whatever going on around him. And he just appears. And he's like supposed to be going back in time to kill this woman. It, would, it makes no sense to have him be a six and a half foot tall bodybuilder with an Austrian accent, you know what I mean? Like, he's not going to hide very well in plain sight, you know? So, James Cameron admitted that it shouldn't have worked with a lot of things in movies. All it has to be is plausible and and it works, so... That's that's what he went with. I will say, like, although I love the theme song to this movie, I, every time I hear like a synthie score in a movie, I immediately think this sounds fucking dated. Like, it sounds really fucking dated, and I don't like it. It's just it it always screams eighties to me. I love when so when Reese shows up, and you know. 1984. And he, he is taking some homeless guy's clothes and a cop stops him. And he asks the cop, you know, what, what's the date? And he's like, you know, he, he tells him the date and he's like, what year, you know? And he's like, he's like, what, what do you mean? What year? Like, how do you not know what year it is? You know? And it's just such a great fucking, I, I just love that line. I don't know why. So Sarah Connor works at this diner and she's clearly not super at her job and she's also got this friend that works there with her and at one point you know this like she Sarah screws up the order for this table and then this little kid takes a scoop of ice cream and dumps it in one of the pouches of her apron and her friend Sarah's friend comes up and says look (laughs) he says look she says look at it this way in a hundred years who's gonna care that's it's not even comforting, even a little bit. But anyway, back back to what I was saying. The whole scene with Sarah Connor where he just... Like, the first Sarah Connor... So, basically, what he does is he goes... You know, the Terminator goes to the phone book to find Sarah Connor. And he just... And for those of you that don't know what a phone book is, you're too young. But anyway, uh, the phone book used to have everybody's phone numbers in it unless you paid to have your name omitted from the phone book. And... So the Terminator goes to the phone book and looks up Sarah Connor and there are like three different Sarah Connors. And so he just decides, I'm going to go pluck these people or, you know, these Sarah Connors off one by one and be done with it. Right. You know, the Terminators only knew that she was in L.A. They didn't know exactly where they didn't know a lot of stuff about her. It was just kind of you know, up in the air for them. So they just, they went to LA and they looked her up and they figured out where the fuck she might be. And the, it, I, I remember when this happens. Okay. So when he goes to the first Sarah Connor, he has, you know, he's already stopped at this gun store and he, he pulls out this, this gun with this laser sight, this like pistol. That has a laser sight on it. This woman answers the door. And he's like, so, come though? And she's like, yes. And he's, and he, like, forces the door open, even though it's chained shut. And he just fucking starts shooting her. And just repeatedly shoots her. Until, you know, she is more than fucking dead. And it's, it's more than enough. They show at, like, Sarah... Connor, like the real Sarah Connor's apartment, she has a roommate, her roommate's getting ready for a date, and her roommate's boyfriend calls, and Sarah answers, and he immediately launches into this super fucking raunchy, dirty talk with her, thinking that it's the roommate, you know, and Sarah lets him go on for a while, you know, and it's just kind of like, what are we doing here? And so... (laughs) He just it's like i i like i'm not very old but i am old enough to remember the days before everyone had a cell phone and before that was like the primary method of communication and i remember when i would call someone and i would you know someone would answer even if it was a woman or a man or you know if it was if it was the gender i was expecting to answer i would say hello is so and so there You know, just basically break that ice and make sure you're talking to the right person. Especially if you're going to fucking talk about sex shit. You know what I mean? Like, what the fuck is the matter with you? I was looking at the... uh, the, There's a, a white guy that is presenting these files because, you know, two Sarah Connors have been killed. And he's presenting them to the police chief. This guy, it's like, he looks really familiar and I can't fucking place him. And I look him up on IMDB and I know that it's not like one of those... He looks like somebody else. It's it's definitely the guy that I'm thinking of. You know what I mean? And I'm like, what do I know him from? And as I'm looking through it, I'm seeing nothing, nothing, nothing. And I'm like, oh, I know what I know him from. I know him from the 1984 film Terminator. And that's it. That's all I know him from. So... I just felt like a big dumb fuck when I did that. And, and the other thing at uh, Sarah and her roommate's apartment is her roommate has recorded this outgoing message on their machine. And it's like, she answers it like, oh, hi there. And then she's like, oh, gotcha. I'm not really here. And it's like, people that do that shit are the fucking worst. Like, they they really think they're fucking special. You know what I mean? They, they think they've really done something crazy. It aggravates me to no end. I can't, I can't stand it. There are, and like, the reason I mentioned the answering machine is like the amount of exposition going on with these answering machines is ridiculous. You know, like basically Sarah, you know, she gets, uh, like her date cancels on her or whatever. And, uh, she tries to call her, you know, her apartment to get a hold of her roommate. And, you know, the Terminator's already gotten there and killed the roommate and she's, She's, like, explaining exactly where she is. She's like, oh, hey, by the way, you know, like, a guy's totally trying to kill me. He's chasing me. He's he's hunting me down. He's really looking for me. Uh, my exact location is this address, and I'm at this club, and I'm wearing this, you know, it's just like, fuck you, like, do not fucking give him all this information, like, you you don't know who is there, if you can't talk to somebody directly, and she's been, like, trying to call the police and all this stuff, and it's just, it's not, oh, my god, it, it, I mean, It's so stressful because there's so much tension and you just know. And I mean, it's great because it's not like he doesn't, it's not like the Terminator doesn't catch up with her until like more than halfway through the movie or something. It is fucking quick. One thing I mentioned, that is the most fucking eighties thing I've ever seen. It was like, Just Sarah Connor's outfit in this movie is like her main outfit that she wears after she gets out of work and she is on the run with Reese is like this pink and white tie dye shirt. And it's, she's got like this big fucking poofy hair and it just like, it screams 80s so much to me. I can't fucking take it. Even not knowing he's a Terminator, there are like way too many dudes in this movie that assume that they can take Arnold Schwarzenegger in hand-to-hand combat. Sorry, that's, you're just not, that's not going to work out. And I can, I can tell you if I look at somebody, I can tell you if I feel like there's even a slight chance that I could, I could take them in a fight. And the answer 99.9% of the time is no, I cannot take them in a fight. But there are some that I would feel better about than others. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, he is the last person I would feel good about being able to take in a fight. Uh, the Terminator finally finds Sarah Connor, the you know the real Sarah Connor, at this, this nightclub. And Reese has been kind of like staking it out, waiting for the Terminator to show himself. And it's like the, the way they have it all play out where it's like, basically the Terminator walks up to Sarah Connor to fucking shoot her in the head and and like everything's kind of like slow motion the music's dying down it's it's all very the way they they capture that moment is is so good it's so it comes together so fucking nicely you know and like obviously Reese and her go on the run I what I what I don't really understand is so Reese shoots the Terminator with like a 12-gauge shotgun, okay? When he shoots the Terminator, it obviously doesn't kill the Terminator, but it knocks the Terminator over and the Terminator acts incapacitated for a handful of seconds, maybe. I don't understand what the logic is or what the rationale is behind you know that span of time where he's he's down but he's not dead it's not like he's hurt it's not like anything's really happened to him it's just he's been hit by something that hit a lot harder than other guns and that's it, you know? So it's like, what, what is really going on? And and I guess, I guess we just have to accept that as viewers that it's like that. They have to be able to do something to get away from the Terminator. Otherwise they'd be fucked like immediately and die. So I would say, you know, I mentioned how good Arnold Schwarzenegger is in this movie. He does this awesome thing in this scene where, you know, it's the initial chase and the police are after Reese and, Sarah and it's Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor by the way and the police are after them and the Terminator is he has stolen a cop car and his eyes are doing the creepiest darting back and forth and it's just like he really fucking captures like the creepy robotic type thing you know it, it, it he really does a good job i i mean it's basically this whole movie is one long intermittent chase scene it's it's very well concocted though um ever since <laughs> Ever since I got my glass eye, I, you know, like, cause there's this scene where, you know, the Terminator has, you know, he's got all of his battle wounds or whatever. And he goes to this like abandoned hotel or apartment or whatever. He like cuts his eye out of its socket and pulls it off. And you can like see the red glowing eye behind it. And like, ever since I lost my eye, I've wanted to do a terminator cosplay you know taking my my glass eye out and then put in like a glowing red light the problem is i haven't been able to find something that would work for that long and it like i want it to be able to like really look legit you know i want like a battery operated red light that would fit in my glass eye that i could just put in there and see how it worked but I have yet to find one. So, you know, let me know if you come across one. Um, I, and like every time you see the Terminator, if it's a slower scene, you know, you still get the the theme song and in the faster scenes, obviously you get some, some Terminator theme as well. But like in the scene where he's taking his eye out, it's like, he's, you just hear this dun 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 you know, and it's like. It's just so fucking menacing and awesome and I just I really want to I, I want to have like a music box in my bathroom that I can hit the button and it will just continuously play that theme song as it is in that in that specific scene when I'm cleaning my my eye, you know, my my prosthetic it would just be I think it'd be fucking wonderful. I would say in the in the scene like Arnold's head does look a little bit claymationy. You know it does look a little a little the worse for wear. You know it's not it doesn't look right. You know it doesn't look like it, a real head. I will say Michael Bean to just kind of change topics. Michael Bean is fucking spectacular in this movie. He he puts on a great performance. He feels like he's one of the few. Like him and him and probably Linda Hamilton. I don't want to take away from from Arnold, but like Bean does an amazing job in this movie, and he's not you know winking at the camera or anything like that. It, it, he's dead serious, and it is it is just fucking great i love it there is a like a little while where you know they're on the run from the terminator and they go to this cabin and you know they they, there's all this shit i mean like the terminator tracks down sarah connor's parents and you know he's he's able to emulate somebody else's voice he's so he's able to talk to sarah connor as her mother and you know, he convinces her to give him her address. And so it's just, you know, like you'd think that Reese would know better than to stop running. You know, it's like, if you're in one place at any given time, you're, you're never gonna be safe, you know what I mean? And, I mean, he tells her, you know, you can't reason with him. You can't slow him down. You can't do anything. You're just, like, you have to, like, he will not stop until you're dead. During the slow spot, we get we get some, some boobies, you know, a little bit of boobies. You know, they belong to Linda Hamilton. And so, I mean, that's it's a nice little uh, consolation prize for the slowness of this sequence. I, I was starting to think at this point in the movie, though that perhaps Terminator 2 Judgment Day is a superior film to this. Like, I know a lot of people already say that. I'm not acting like I'm being original in that. But I'm saying that, like, T2, I don't remember there being as big of a slow stretch. And, like, you know, there's the scene where they're out in the middle of the desert in T2, where, you know, like, they go to visit Sarah's friends or whatever. I don't know. I, I gotta watch T2, but it's... It's a tough call. I'm, I'm thinking I'm leaning towards T2 for this, but, you know, there's this scene where they're running from the Terminator in a truck and he's pursuing them on a motorcycle. And, you know, Reese has... Uh, Sarah driving the truck and Reese is throwing pipe bombs at the Terminator. And it's pretty cool. It's, I mean, it's just, it's really great. Like how well they set up that like, yeah, you're not fucking stopping this guy. You know what I mean? Because, because he does a pretty fucking solid job of landing these pipe bombs and the Terminator just rides right the fuck through them. I mean, just does not care at all. And so... I love, you know, like Reese is about to die and, you know, he's just like limping along and they're convinced that the Terminator is dead and, you know, they, uh, because Sarah took a pipe bomb and, um, uh, like, cause the Terminator took over like a tanker truck and, Sarah used a pipe bomb to explode that tanker truck and the Terminator was still inside the truck and, like, you see him, like, come out and, like, fall down on the ground and, like, while while Reese and, and her are getting ahead of themselves, it's like he pops up and, you know, all of his skin's been melted off and shit and, like, it just didn't, you know... It, it's like it taught me... That scene taught me I need to confirm the kill whenever possible. And I've talked about it before. You've got to fucking make sure that those kinds of people are dead because they'll just keep coming back. If movies teach you anything. So I said, this movie always taught me to confirm the kill before celebrating and getting sappy and i said also never get sappy and that's that's really an embodiment of my my outlook on life the design of the terminator is fucking spectacular i really like it it's it's a really cool look they they put a lot of work into making it work and apparently it took like 6 months to develop or something the, there are so many false alarm deaths of the terminator in this movie and it, i'm I mean, it's great. It it keeps the tension building and it keeps you on the edge of your seat and that's what's great about it. Obviously, like, you know, eventually Sarah does kill the Terminator because that's literally the only way she could could slow him down. She basically, like, leads him into this press in this uh, factory and he's, like, reaching and trying to grab her and he's only, like, he's got no legs left and he's just clawing at her neck and, like, he's just... (sighs) He's just there and he's caged in, but she can't really get away from him very easily either. And it's like, she deliberately says, you're terminated, fucker, and then hits the button to crush him. And I'm like, man, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people think that that line is super iconic, but to me, it's like, why don't you just not say anything at all? Just not say that. You know what I mean? That'd be fucking perfect. So yeah, I mean, there's that. And then, so I said, quick, Sarah, hide all those pieces of that Terminator so that it doesn't come back to haunt you. Because, you know, that's totally what happens in Terminator 2 is that they've taken the pieces of this Terminator and used it to develop the Terminators. I mean, this this entire film series is so full of of ridiculousness with, with shit like that. And at the end of the movie, you know, cause you find out that basically, you know, cause Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor have sex, you know, and he keeps telling her about her son, John Connor and how her son never really talked about his dad and all this stuff. And it's like, okay. So they, they end up having sex and it's like, you know, you know, cause like at the end of the movie, you know, she's out driving in this Jeep or something And she's recording herself on a tape recorder and she's, she's pregnant and she stops and says, should I tell you about your father? Boy, that's a tough one. And I'm like, you think your father is a walking fucking paradox? Like your father is not, you sent your father back in time to, you know, to protect your mother and your father. So basically there's, there's such like a, an an infinite loop of like, okay, if, John Connor had never been born. He couldn't have sent him back in time. And if he couldn't have sent him back in time, then he couldn't have been born. And it's just, holy shit. It's too fucking much for me. So, I mean, I think I've said all of the, the positive things I can say. The only, the only thing that I was missing in this movie that I forgot was in the second movie was like the, the twirl of the shotgun, like the sawed off shotgun that, uh, the T-800 uses and, T2 fucking great. Just love it. Um I but it was obviously not in this movie, so that's that's the way it is. James Cameron decided to make this movie after having had a dream about a a, a metallic torso carrying kitchen knives. And he decided to make a slasher film about, like, a robot. And Cameron's agent at the time didn't like the idea, so Cameron fired him. Uh, Cameron's original draft was pretty much Terminator 2, but he realized that they really didn't have the technology at the time to do what they needed to do to make Terminator 2. So Cameron sold the rights to this story to Gail Ann Hurd, who she bought it for a dollar from him as long as... On the condition that Cameron was allowed to direct it, she she bought the rights and she gave him some notes on his script and basically made him give her a writing credit on this movie. And it's like he he had openly said that she didn't do any actual writing on this movie at all. She did nothing. She gave some notes, and I didn't even take all of her notes, and that's it, you know, I mean, so it is what it is. Schwarzenegger speaks 17 lines in the film. And he says fewer than 100 words. The theme song is in the unusual time signature of 1316, which is just a a neat little tidbit if you know anything about music, which excludes me. Linda Hamilton and James Cameron were once married following this film. I didn't see like what years they were married or, you know, for how long or whatever. The genre of this film and a movie like Blade Runner is considered tech noir. And so it's like a futuristic noir movie. And then, you know, like, so the nightclub that the Terminator first finds Sarah at is called tech noir at around 36 minutes in Schwarzenegger and Bean are in the same frame for the only time in the movie. That's, I always find that interesting. It's kind of like in Sin City when, you know, they were talking about shooting all these scenes Separately, you know, or without certain actors and stuff. And Mickey Rourke and Elijah Wood hadn't ever met in person until the movie was premiering. And they had had a fight scene together. So, so yeah, that's pretty nifty. The runtime of this movie was 107 minutes. The budget was $6.4 million. The worldwide gross to date was $78.3 million. IMDb rating, 8.1. Rotten Tomato Critics score, 100%. Rotten Tomato audience score, 89%. Personal rating, 5 out of 5 stars. This is a fucking classic, gang. I fucking love it. Moving on to The Italian Job. Release date, May 30th, 2003. Directed by F. Gary Gray. Which, if you look at his name, it looks like it just says Gary Gary. Or Gray Gray, because it's just the same letters and just two of them are flipped. Anyway, he was... I think his first movie was the movie Friday with Ice Cube and Chris Tucker. And then he made Set It Off and The Negotiator, which I remember being pretty solid. Be Cool, which was a sequel to Get Shorty. And that I never saw that, and I always heard that was terrible. Uh, A Law-Abiding Citizen with uh, Gerard Butler, I was not a big fan of. He did Straight Outta Compton, which was the NWA story. And he did the fucking video for It Was a Good Day by Ice Cube. First number one cast member is Mark Wahlberg. Don't call him Marky Mark if you can help it to his face. He plays Charlie Croker. Uh, he, he was in, you know, some of his notable movies. He's got quite a few. I, I, I used to be quite the big fan of Mark Wahlberg, but he's kind of fallen off recently. But he was in The Departed, Boogie Nights, The Fighter, Ted, Four Brothers, Lone Survivor, Contraband, The Happening, terrible fucking movie, by the way, Invincible, and We Own the Night, which I need to revisit. He was in a movie called Father Father Stew. I need to watch that because I think I might want to make fun of it. It's got like Mel Gibson in it and he plays like a a man of the cloth and he is like a, an ex-con or some fucking thing. And there's another one of his that I really need to make fun of, which is called Joe Bell. And it's just, the, the movie is fucking, it, it looks fucking stupid. And so anyway, I got to check those out. Charlize Theron, who is, as I mentioned always, hot. She plays Stella Bridger in this movie. Uh, she was in Monster... Mad Max Fury Road, which is fucking solid. I'll probably do an episode on that at one point. Uh, Bombshell, The Fate of the Furious. She was the, the villain in that. She was in Long Shot with Seth Rogen, which I hated. She was in Atomic Blonde, which I've never checked out. The Legend of Bagger Vance and The Devil's Advocate. The Devil's Advocate was terrible. Edward Norton, uh, he plays Steve Frizzelli. A little note about Edward Norton in this movie, he only did this movie to fulfill a three-film contract with Paramount. He had repeatedly refused other offers for different movies, so he got kind of coerced into doing this film, and he was very visibly displeased with having to be in this movie at all times when he was on set. He would just clash with crew members and things like that. When the film was successful, the producer of the movie bought gifts for all of the cast, and he returned his gift to the producer and said, Give this to someone you actually like, or someone who actually likes you. Wow. I mean, he seemed like... I've heard stories about him and him seeming like he'd be douchey to work with, you know, but like, my God, that sounds fucking bad. But I love, I love Edward Norton. I think he's a great actor. I think he's got a lot of talent. I just, you know, it's unfortunate when you hear that somebody's, you know, if any of it's not true about him, I would still say that if somebody asked me to like pick the actors in Hollywood that would be great to work with, I would, I would definitely not mention him. I would not think he would be good to work with. But that's me. You know, he was in, you, you know Edward Norton. He was in Fight Club, American History X, Primal Fear, Moonrise Kingdom, Rounders, The Score, The Illusionist. I mean, these are all pretty fucking solid movies, you know, varying in, in levels of, of goodness, but all very good. Donald Sutherland is in this movie, albeit very briefly. Uh, he plays John Bridger. He was, you know, you know him from like the Hunger Games movies and he was in Pride and Prejudice with Kira Knightley and he was in A Time to Kill, which I covered on my blog, Brandon at RandomReviews.com because I finally got that domain name. Yeah. Jason Statham is in this. He plays Handsome Rob. He was in Snatch and Crank and The Transporter, you know, just those kind of, and he's in, he's in the Fast and the Furious movies. Uh, he, so Seth Green's also in this movie, and he plays the character Lyle, who prefers to be called Napster, because he claims that he invented the popular peer-to-peer file-sharing service Napster while in college, and the guy that ended up actually getting credit for it was his roommate, and he stole it from him. It's, I'll I'll bring that up a little bit later, but yeah, just to... You know he's Napster slash Lyle and so most staff is in this movie He plays Gilligan or left ear uh, he is you know he's he's pretty popular pretty pretty well-established rapper uh, but he's a really good actor he's in he was in Hitchhiker's Guide for, to the Galaxy which I couldn't sit through I thought it was fucking terrible like I listened to the books on audio or to the book I should say and it was like it was pretty decent like I liked it and when I listened to or when I watched the movie I was just like holy shit this was not what I I was picturing it all he's also in a movie with bruce willis called 16 blocks which i remember being pretty good this movie is basically about a bunch of you know, a team of thieves steal a bunch of gold in it in italy and then they they get double crossed by one of their team who is played by edward norton and they and they have to concoct a what do I want to call it? They, they have to concoct like a heist to to get them the gold back from him, okay? So that's just the, the basic rundown. I mean, there's some cool stuff in here. Because I mean, like, there's a scene where they blow the, the floor out from under a, a safe in the very beginning of the movie, and you're led to believe initially that the safe dropped onto a boat and they took the boat away, my only thought was like, as soon as I saw it happen, I was like, well, if they want me to believe that that fucking boat, like, was able to, to take on that fucking huge weight that fast, like, kiss my ass. You know what I mean? So... I just kind of rolled my eyes and then, of course, they like pull the rug out from under you and it's actually the safe went to the bottom of the water and the they already had like a fake safe on top of the boat and they lead them on a wild goose chase while uh, Donald Sutherland and Mark Wahlberg are breaking into the safe underwater. So it kind of an, like there's a, there's a moment where Seth Green in the, the beginning chase, he like laughs at... This guy who crashes in his boat. And it's like, I guess that's Seth Green's character to do that, you know? Like, he's gonna laugh at him. But it's it's so not a cool move, you know? Like, to fucking chuckle at it. But whatever. Uh, I would... I would call, I want to mention that this is definitely, like, a... Because this is supposed to be... It's billed as a remake of the movie from the 60s. And that has Michael Caine in it. And I've watched that a few years ago now. And it's, like... Michael Caine, I only like old Michael Caine. You know, like I I haven't found a movie by Michael Caine that was like particularly good that I that I watched where he was like young in it. You know what I mean? And I know that was when he like made a name for himself, but still. So basically, this movie is nothing like that original movie. So I would call it more of a reboot than a remake. And I mean, they really only shoot—they only shoot the beginning in Italy, and that's what why they call it the Italian job. And the people who wrote the movie only saw the original movie once to get like little hints of it in for inspiration, but they didn't like take real elements from the story to to go with, you know. And it just every time I see, you know, in a movie like this where they're moving gold around and they're just trying to, you know. Take it away from from one place to another in a hurry under duress. It's like, I immediately think to myself, what in fuck's name? Like, do you realize how heavy gold is? Do you realize how heavy it is? So the value of the stolen gold is listed as $35 million dollars. In 2003, when the film was released, gold prices ranged from around $320 to $420 per ounce. At an average price of $370 per ounce, $35 million in gold would weigh just shy of three tons at 5,912 pounds. That's a fucking ton. It kind of reminds me of like, I remember especially like the movie Rush Hour, they they had this ransom, you know, it was $50 million and it was, it, they wanted it in small denominations, you know, like 20 million in 20s, you know, 10 million in 10s, 5 million in 5s, whatever. And like, they talk about it. They're like, oh yeah, by the way, that amount of fucking money, like they they have it, transported in the movie in, like, two small briefcases, right? And they say, like, you would need so fucking much more. Like, there it would take up so much more space than that. But it is what it is, you know? You can... I mean, it's just... If you don't think about it too much with shit like that in movies, it's not a big deal. So when they get back originally, before Edward Norton double crosses them. It's like they're talking about what they're going to do with it. And he can't even think of a bullshit thing to say to just make up to say that he's doing with this fucking money. And I'm like, what planet do you live on, dude? Like, you can't think of anything that you like a lot that you want more of. Like, get the fuck out of here. They started playing Pink Floyd's Money, but it was like a cover version of it, you know? And I did not enjoy it. I always hate when they try and do that in movies where it's like, yeah, I'm not going to be fooled by the cover version. Like, I know that's not Pink Floyd. And it just, it irked me a little bit. So there's a moment where they're tracking down where Edward Norton's character is. And they're looking through his window at his TV, and he turns on the TV, and you can see a young Michael Caine. I I'm assuming that that is a shot from the original. I can't. I don't remember the scene, but like, it just looks far too familiar. You know, it's like, uh, I think that's probably fucking the Italian Job on, you know, like the original Italian Job in this movie, which is. It's a funny little nod, so whatever. They do a bunch of backstories, or like they do a handful of backstories of all these characters, you know, explaining what made them who they are, or what kind of person they are, or whatever. And when they talk about the guy, you know, Seth Green's character, Lyle. As you know, like how he had the i, you know the the Napster program stolen from him by Sean Fanning in the in the flashback scene where they show Seth Green like he falls asleep and his roommate goes to steal his his floppy disk from his computer. They actually show like it's it's really Sean Fanning. Like Sean Fanning did the role in this movie of the like just as a joke, you know. So I thought that was pretty fucking cool. I would say Seth Green is... He's a pretty solid comic, really, for this movie. He does does an impression of Jason Statham. And, you know, because his character's name is Handsome Rob. And so he kind of, like, makes jokes about him picking up women and stuff like that. Charlize goes from telling Marky Mark, you know, because, like, Charlize is Donald Sutherland's daughter in this movie. And Donald Sutherland dies in the, uh, the run-in with Edward Norton when Edward Norton double-crosses them. And Marky Mark approaches her to ask her if she's interested in this job. And she basically tells him, like, I told you, you know, to fuck off and never to talk to me again. You got my father killed, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, she almost immediately fucking goes, goes back on that and fucking doesn't doesn't care anymore at all and just keeps working with them and, get, and warms up to them more and more every minute. And it's like, okay. there's a scene where they're going to have Charlize go into Edward Norton's mansion to fix the cable, quote unquote. And really, it's just like, you know, she's going in there for their own, you know, to just get an idea of what what they've got going on there. And she uh, there Seth Green starts putting the pin on that has the camera in it and he's fumbling around and getting all nervous and then Marky Mark does it. And it's like, why can't she put her own fucking pin on her goddamn self? You know what I mean? Like, why does she need a dude fondling about her boob? You know what I mean? It, it's, it's fucking stupid. I would say Ed Norton does an amazing job playing a bad guy. I mean, he's really convincing. And I think he was probably channeling a lot of his own personal feelings about the movie. And, you know, in this character. <laughs> But, like, it's funny because they keep talking about how massive his TV is. And his TV is, honestly, like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, like, 50 inches at most. And it's, like, I guess, you know, by 2003 standards, it would have been, like, the equivalent of 900 inches or something. So, I guess that's that's cool. They say that uh, Charlize Theron was the best driver of the whole cast it just seems like a lot of shit is going on at once at one point in the movie, and it's like it's almost too much. I feel like because it's one thing to be like misleading or deliberately like lead you in the wrong direction as a viewer, but it's quite another to just overload you and annoy you. You know what I mean? So Norton convinces Charlize's ther- character to uh, to go on a date, right? And so she goes to the you know the the restaurant and Norton says to her you don't seem like the adventurous type and she says well don't let the cable uniform fool you and he says I'm not making assumptions and it's like you are 100% making assumptions that is absolutely what you're fucking doing right now like that's there's nothing else to call that you are making assumptions you said she doesn't seem like the adventurous type's Type, what else is there? You know what I mean. And, and at the same scene in the restaurant, I, I decided I was officially over the whole concept of the scene where it's like the cliche where the bad guy says something something to upset one of the good guys and the good guy like comes at him. Like they're going to physically attack them and people have to hold them back. And that's what happens. Like Ed Norton says, it makes a comment about like Charlize's dad or whatever. And Charlize comes at him and they hold him back or hold her back. And it's like, fuck off. Like just, I'd rather that you just let her fucking hit him and just be done with it. You know what I mean? I feel like the, the, the whole casting of Donald Sutherland's uh, character in this movie was, it was delicious. Deliberately misleading. It was like, oh yeah, you know, he can't possibly die that quickly because he's, you know, he's Donald Sutherland and he's going to have a bigger role in this movie, but no... They, so when they finally are on, you know, they, they're Edward Norton is going to move. You know, he's basically jumping ship with the gold that he knows these guys are trying to steal. And he lo- like he has three different armored trucks to kind of like mislead, you know, and, and to confuse, to just basically inter- interfere with you know, what their plans are because he knows they're going to try and get it. And so, you know, they still, they're able to figure out which one it is. And they, they get into the truck and like, they're going for the truck. It's an armored truck and they take a crowbar to it for... I don't know, five seconds, maybe. And it's like, they're, they're fucking into that armored truck with a crowbar that fucking quickly. So yeah, anyway, so I mean, there's, there's a big showdown with Ed Norton on, he's in this helicopter, you know, and Mark Wahlberg is, is in this Mini Cooper because there's all these Mini Coopers they're using to transport this shit. And because they're small and easier to, you know, Maneuver and all that stuff. And so Edward Norton is in this helicopter and he there's like a big showdown with Wahlberg in this like under this bridge, basically. And they say that there are no digital effects. And I'm not surprised because, I mean, I know that there was technology available to do that, but I don't think it would have looked as good in 2003 as it would now if they tried to do that with digital effects. So I, I'm not surprised by that at all. But I would say all in all, it seemed like it was it was almost too easy. You know, the whole thing seemed like it was a little too easy. But I will say the cast had like really good chemistry. The tension was was well designed, you know. It was, it was pretty high tension. Ed Norton is an excellent villain. Theron and... Norton truly shine brightest in this film. So there's some things like there are moments like lighthearted moments in this movie that are pretty stupid. And I know a lot of people are going to bitch at me, but it, there's just dumb shit going on. You know what I mean? It's, you know, the whole blowing the woman's clothes off with speakers is fucking stupid. Guess what? If you can If you could make something that was going to be powerful enough to rip someone's clothes off to blow them off their body, that person would not just, like, be standing. They would fucking get knocked to the dirt. You know what I mean? So that that kind of annoyed me. It feels a little bit like, and this isn't too big of a knock, but I I feel the need to mention it. I feel like it wants to be Ocean's Eleven on wheels, basically. And I don't think it quite gets there because I think Ocean's Eleven really fucking hammers it home and they do it with a bigger cast, you know? So it's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not as impressed with, you know, with the Italian job, but you know, whatever. You know, I also want them to just get the, get the real Pink Floyd song, please. Thank you. Money. So most of this film, uh, this is, this is trivia, by the way, most of the film was shot on location, The director wanted it to be as realistic as possible. The actors received a stunt driving course before filming and mostly did their own stunts. 32 Mini Coopers were used throughout the film. The writers literally only watched the original Italian job once for inspiration. They wanted to make their own version. They basically wanted to make their own movie is what that means. Uh, The runtime was 105 minutes. Budget, $60 million dollars. Worldwide gross, $176.1 million. IMDb rating, 7.0. Rotten Tomato Critics score, 73%. Rotten Tomato Audience score, 80%. Personal rating of 4.5 out of 5 stars. I think, given my criticisms, that that should seem a little surprising. But I still I, I enjoy the movie quite a bit. And I, I don't need to justify myself. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I do appreciate it as always you know stay tuned if this this new format actually works out if i you know if you don't like it if you you know i mean obviously let me know if enough people tell me that they don't don't really care for it then you know i mean i'd be happy to hear about it and and change it up again but i'm just i'm trying to find a rhythm you know i'm still pretty early into the uh the infancy of this podcast and i just i'm trying to get there so all right everybody have a good rest of your day Thank you. Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr.